From the Dark Knight trilogy to Star Wars, many stories have iconic characters who wear masks in an attempt to hide. Masks are also a compelling key to understanding character identity. Hello from elsewhere, I'm Casey. And I'm Valerie. Now, we've had colds, so it might sound it might sound like we're wearing masks while we record, but we're not. I was um, going to say we'll sound like a Phoebe when she gets sick on Friends, mm. and she's got her sexy voice. That's like two episodes in a row you've mentioned Friends. I know. We don't even watch Friends, though. <laughs> like, when was the last time we watched Friends? Like, it's been a very long time. But yes. Um, yeah, it has been a while. Oh, Valerie, I have some very exciting trivia that I'm so excited to share, and I can't oversell this enough. This is the greatest bit of trivia I've ever heard in my life. So okay, but is it better than the trivia that our six-year-old son just told me? I forgot. He told me before he went to bed Ooh, that I was supposed to tell you. Oh, okay. Well, this is a perfect time for it. Okay. On a public forum yes. podcast. He wanted to know. He said... Because you were busy doing schoolwork, and so I wouldn't let him disrupt you. And I said, I'll ask Dad. And he goes, okay, I want to know if Dad knows that there are also Banthas on Kashyyyk. What? Yes. I don't believe that. Hey, he read it in one of your 1990s Star Wars magazines. So oh, I guess that's it's not, not canon, canon anymore. anymore. <laughs> the, he's talking about the Star Wars kids magazine that I used to subscribe to. They would send you these magazines, and then we also got had these cool, like... It was like a card game slash mission. You go on these missions. And anyways, it was like a, almost like a board game, but uh, for little kids. And you could buy extra missions for it. And more like D&D, actually, than a board game. But um, yeah, they were really fun. But they also had that magazine, Star Wars Kids, which is no longer canon. Yeah, he was showing me one of the pages that was talking about like, here the actor is going to be in The Phantom Menace. There's like very young pictures of Jake Lloyd and Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor. It's fantastic. Yes, he was uh, very excited to read me the little excerpt and he was talking about how Banthas are vegetarians. It was like a little like zoo expert or like oh. excerpt almost like and they're used as heavy lifters across the galaxy. And so, so it was saying on Tatooine and Kashyyyk. So, so who's going to be the one that tells him that's not canon anymore? Not, a, you have not to, it. Oh, man. <laughs> you touched your nose. I don't think you can play that game with two people. Absolutely you All can. Right. I'll tell him tomorrow. You're slow, you're slow. Uh, it's the first thing I'll tell him in the morning to just make his day. Hey, hey buddy, that cool <laughs> fact you learned about Banthas is false. Star Wars, ever-evolving, apparently. <laughs> Okay, no, but this trivia is better than non-canon Kashyyykian Banthas. Okay. So, Nick Offerman, yes. known as Ron Swanson. Is he going to be in episode nine? Name, no. Come okay, on. Okay, that would, <laughs> I'll admit, that would be the best bit of trivia. That's not really trivia, though. This is, true. This is you know, because it's in the past. Um, so, Nick Offerman grew up on a farm in Illinois, right? Right. And there's not much to do when you grow up on a farm in Illinois. And so, he grew up with a love for Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. He was a big fan, which is already fun trivia because I just, I don't picture him as loving that. I don't know why, but uh, he just seems, I don't know. Because Ron Swanson wouldn't love it. Maybe, maybe I'm conflating the two, but um, so he, he loved Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and knows them well, but it turns out he auditioned for Lord of the Rings. Really? Yeah. He wanted to be Gimli. Oh, he yeah. would have been Can you good. Imagine? I mean, John Rhys-Davies is, is fantastic, and it's hard to imagine. But um, 
Yeah. Can you imagine Nick Offerman? <laughs> like he was, so he, um, he was telling the story in an interview about how he doesn't campaign for stuff that he really wants. Cause I don't remember what he said, something about, uh, it just, he get, he'll get, you'll get your hopes up, you know, but, uh, he had like sent letters to Peter Jackson and, and all this stuff. He was like really wanted this job in Lord of the Rings because he loved Lord of the Rings so much, which is just my favorite bit of trivia. I didn't know that. Like I know about other actors that like almost got it or um, even like Aragorn was a different actor for like a week on set even. I didn't know that. Um, Who was the other actor? Um, I can't remember his name. He just did not gel well and kind of had a not great attitude, a bit of an mm-hmm. ego. So it just wasn't working out. So, yeah, Viggo Mortensen came on on last minute. And the only reason Viggo Mortensen did it was because his son loved his son Lord of the Rings. wanted him to do it. And was like, Dad, that. you have to do this. Kind of similar to... to um, Gandalf. To or not Gandalf, Dumbledore. Dumbledore uh, Richard Harris, yeah, because his grandchildren loved Harry Potter so yes. much. So they're like, you have to do this. I love we stories won't like that. <laughs> let you be our grandpa anymore. Yeah. So, so the hope now is let's just put Nick Offerman in the Amazon Lord of the Rings because they're doing a Lord of the Rings thing now. So we need to... I didn't know that they were. Yeah, they're doing... I don't think anyone knows, like, what they're doing, though. Like, if it's a... I've heard that it's something happening happening simultaneously as like a, the movies. Like a separate story. So not a reboot, but something separate. I don't know if that's true. Don't... I feel like that would work better than a reboot. I'd rather because... they didn't... Yeah, just remake everything. Like, yes. that's a rich world, and you can do lots of things in, so I don't think yeah. we need a, a remake, especially because that trilogy is just so cohesive Incredible. and wonderful, and so... Anyways. Not to mention huge budget. I don't know if they could do it justice if they... Yeah. I mean, not that Amazon Amazon's doesn't have money. Amazon's got the money to but... do it. it <laughs> yeah, their, their budget will be through the roof, but they can do it. So, but yeah, they are. Amazon is doing that. But. Anyways, Nick Offerman, Gimli, sounds wonderful. In an alternate universe. I think he also can like would lo- have loved to do Gandalf, I think he said in the interview as well. He, he was interviewed on a, a podcast, for those interested, called um, Happy, Sad, Confused. Josh Horowitz interviews actors and and creators, and so uh, Nick, the Nick Offerman interview is really good overall. But that that bit of trivia came out of nowhere. I was like, I had never heard anything like that before. So, well, we really have been excited about this episode about masks for many moons. For many moons, obviously masks are cool, but we don't just want to talk about cool masks because that's not what we do here. We want to. But I do think the deeper. idea spawned from your love of Kylo Ren's mask. It could be. So my love of Kylo Ren's mask was immediate because it was definitely a callback. I don't know if it was intentional, but to an old Star Wars video game, Knights of the Old Republic, Darth Revan has a very similar design aesthetic from Kylo Ren. And he's Kylo, and Darth Revan's one of my favorite characters. So I was very immediately excited about the Kylo Ren thing. And we've been wanting to do an episode that is not entirely focused on Kylo Ren, but... Um, I talk about him a lot, and I want to explain why I love him so much, because I don't know if we've done a good job of that. So maybe you, I don't know, maybe you hate Kylo Ren, and you haven't been telling me. You're just over there laughing. <laughs> secret. <laughs> what a doofus. The biggest secret in our marriage. Oh, I hate Kylo Ren. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I find him to be a, a very compelling character. I'm really interested to see where he goes in the ninth movie. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Star Wars as well as Batman, and those are the two big things we'll be covering um, in terms of masks, but we might bring some other things in. And of course, you listeners can think of your favorites and let us know. So let's jump right in. We'll start with Batman. We're specifically talking about the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, um, we could say like Lego Batman's a little bit interesting to talk about because 
he seems to be well he's like an extreme version of all batmans and so yes. he's aversive to even taking off the mask like right like when he's, when he's at home he still has the mask right on. or when he's in the limo and alfred has to remind him to take it off and he's like grumbling about it he does not want to take that mask off he yes. seems to really like hate bruce wayne almost that side yeah. of his persona he's a little bit more jekyll and hyde yeah. so he's worth he's worth talking about but the dark knight trilogy definitely gives us a lot of mask masks are just a huge theme in the dark knight trilogy where do we want to start let's start at the very beginning the batman beginning yes batman begins we're obviously really focusing on batman here but the villains will come into it too because they're all intertwined in how they um, present masks metaphorically and and literally absolutely like when you think about Ra's al Ghul he himself is a mask or he has a person who plays this part of Ra's al Ghul mm. who is not actually Ra's yeah I wonder what that other guy's actual name even is well Ken Watanabe well <laughs> <laughs> you mean his his character name character name he might be named they're both named Ra's al Ghul in the credits we've never oh, looked I don't know Ra's al Ghul one and two I think thing one, thing I two. think Ken Watanabe is listed as Ra's al Ghul and and Liam Neeson is credited as because um, he gives a different name. Oh, what's his See, name? See, I can't even remember what his other name um, is. That's gonna bug me. Let's look it up. Yeah, so Ra's al Ghul has this other person being his mask, which I think is really interesting. Um, he doesn't even he doesn't trust Batman enough with his actual identity yet. Um, for all that he is training him to become like him. He hasn't accepted that or given him his actual identity. Okay, so Liam Neeson is listed as Ducard, which is the name he gives. And Ken Watanabe is listed as Ra's al Ghul. Interesting. And I'm sure that came out before the movie so that people wouldn't... Uh, oh, right. Guess, guess the, the twist. The twist, but um, it's interesting that it's still listed that way. Yeah. But I, that's how it is. Um, but yeah, it, it's cool that... So his mask is so permanent, he's not even on the credits no, as himself. His mask has extended... To the internet that's how <laughs> pervasive it is uh, and bruce first dons a mask to become one of ra's al ghul's ninjas to train and become an idea right yeah they they even say that that phrase to become an idea well why do you think it is that all ninjas have masks is it just the anonymity of it or is it to like they say to like serve a greater purpose i guess it could be both you know to be a symbol but a collective symbol which is very interesting to think about that in the sense of the Dark Knight where Batman has inspired other people to don the Batman masks, but he doesn't allow that to happen. Like Bruce is Bruce and Batman are completely against anyone else doing what he's doing. He's like anti the collective good in a way. Or the or the collective um hero. At least until Dark Knight rises where he starts to gather some more help, so to speak, like in, in Catwoman and um, Blake, the, the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Right. I think it stems from such a fear of other people being injured on his behalf. It's not just like a, I'm the one and only Batman. I think he's, unlike Ra's al Ghul, who's willing to collect a bunch of followers to be killed off for him, Batman doesn't want everybody to die for him. He's already had his parents die for him, and that's enough. Yeah. And again, it goes back to that Lego Lego Extreme in the Lego Batman movie. That's what that entire movie is about, is his unwillingness to have a team outside of himself and Alfred. It's true. Um, I mean, there's a reason that, that that character is that way, because he's often been that way, not just, not just in Lego form. Um, when Bruce leaves 
um, the castle, whatever, um, the League of Shadows castle, and he's flying back to Gotham with Alfred. And they're talking about what he wants to do. And, and Would you call it a castle? I would have never called it a castle. <laughs> I don't know. It looks almost more like a monastery. Yeah, monastery. That's probably a better word for it. I'm just, it could be a castle. It's okay. Casey. There's a dragon. <laughs> Where's the moat? And it's not made out of stone. It doesn't need a, a moat. You it needs a moat and a dragon. It has to be made out of stone. Climb it with a blue flower. That's really hard. Yeah, but it has to have a moat, a dragon, and be made of stone to be a castle. I don't think all three of those it's are canon. prerequisites. It's canon. <laughs> Life canon that you need a dragon to have a castle. Yeah, and a moat, and it has to be made out of stone. Anyways, so <laughs> Bruce, Bruce says that people need, he says, people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. As a symbol, I can be incorruptible, I can be everlasting. And that's sort of the, the impetus for Batman as an idea. And it's, I love how it's kind of, slow and gradual it's not immediately like i'm gonna dress up as a bat and beat up bad guys it's uh it starts as needing that dramatic example although now that i'm thinking about that quote there he says that as a symbol i can be incorruptible but that flips on its head in dark knight because batman becomes the villain so he's no longer incorruptible if people see him as the villain well yeah people see him as corruptible but he's is he actually you know corruptible no, but that's what he's talking about. You know, he can be everlasting and incorruptible as a symbol. But right, that symbol can be can be shifted and changed depending on the whims of of perspective. Really, like he he doesn't have control over how people see him as much as he tries. Right. But let's get more specifically into the masks. There's even before. Well, I don't remember exactly at what point in the movie, but there's that that scene where he's talking to Rachel and he sees her outside the hotel. Already you, already you get to see the different masks that Batman has. Because he doesn't just have the Batman mask that we think of. He's got um, at least three masks, I would say. Because he's got the Bruce Wayne mask, not the real Bruce Wayne, but the one that he puts on for, you know, the pretty girls and the parties. and Right, because Alfred tells him, you know, if you're going to sleep in really late and, and show up with bruises and things, you got to right. come up with a different story or right. something. So he's already being forced to put another mask in yeah. the, at the forefront. So to to ca- yeah, to cover up the fact that he is Batman. And I think it's really interesting that Alfred kind of gives him that idea. He even says, I don't know, drive expensive cars and take pretty ladies out to dinner mm-hmm. type of thing. Like Buy things that aren't for sale. I think buy things that aren't for sale. Yeah, he takes these examples very literally. Right. And he goes and does them as, you know, as part of the Bruce Wayne persona. I think because he doesn't want to. So he doesn't want to like plan too much for it he's like oh alfred said that i'm just gonna do that because then i don't have to think too much <laughs> about it that good. sounds good that's that makes sense because i i always get the sense that the batman you know figure is the most like the closest to who he is that um the bruce wayne persona so to speak and i mean like the real bruce wayne is still too painful for him to accept because that's the person who let his parents die at least in his mind you know right whereas the batman is a, a strong person a a symbol that's incorruptible and um can be everlasting i think that's his true self or at least what he wants his true self to be if that makes sense no absolutely it's fascinating to think about it's almost a chosen like he has this one path that he wants to take Mm -hmm. in order to cover up you know like you were saying like the pain of his other personalities like he would have to deal more with his issues 
Well, obviously, Batman's very um, extreme in terms of like it's it's a fantasy, it's a power fantasy, it's a superhero movie. But I think that's relatable because I think we all wear masks of some kind. It's oh yeah. Um, I think that's a line from Batman Forever. Actually, I, w- I didn't even plan that, but um, <laughs> just this idea that we all we all put on masks. We have we have our our Facebook and Instagram masks and the masks of meeting new people and you know. I think right, that's we're a very all human thing. different in different yeah. situations. Yes, I agree. But um, what I was saying before, so outside the hotel, he's with Rachel, and and she sees that hoity-toity Bruce mask, and I don't know what we can call that. Is what? that a Newsies reference? Oh, I didn't even Real think about hoity-toity. that. Real hoity-toity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the Jack Kelly. No, because Jack Kelly's not really like that. But yeah, the hoity-toity Bruce is um, Ra- Rachel. Well, he says to Rachel, he says, "Rachel, all this, it's not me inside. I am more," and so. You already get that sense that that mask is there, and he he knows it. He knows what he's doing, um, but the trouble with having those identities is that um, other people perceive you the way that you right. wear the mask. Rachel's going to see that mask and think it's him, and then of course he has that line that's well, she says it first, and then he says it later to like let her know he's Bruce. But he says it's not who you are underneath; it's what you do that defines you, and I think that's really what Batman believes is, and that's why he wants to be. He wants Batman to be his true persona because that's what he's doing. Although technically he is also doing those other rich playboy type things. Right. Is he Is he just, um, is that moral sort of empty, the moral of the story? Because he is doing those things. Like, is that just a cop out? Well, this is what I'm doing, but yeah, you're right. He is doing those other things. It's not like he's not doing them. <laughs> and he could be hurting people in the process, treating other people that way. And I also want to mention the idea that the Wayne Manor which is more of a castle. It's giant There's and made no of dragon. stone. It doesn't fit your... It has a water feature, though. It doesn't fit your litmus test. I'm sorry. Okay. But couldn't Batman be the dragon? Whoa. And it has the watery, you know, waterfall, like it's basically a moat under there. True. So I'm going to go with the Wayne Manor castle. Okay. Anyways, it is its own kind of mask for the Batcave, which I love. Yeah, it's a great mot- metaphor, especially because considering that Bruce was there before Batman. Wayne Manor was there before the Batcave. Like, the... the, the well, I'll, I'll, but, like, the cave itself would have been there before well, the yes, Manor. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I'm just saying it's interesting to think about how the, the self that starts out kind of slowly becomes the mask, you know, that Bruce Wayne slowly becomes the mask to Batman rather than vice versa, just like Wayne Manor eventually is the mask to the Batcave underneath. Interesting. Which also, I think, is very similar to what happens in The Dark Knight Rises, where they keep talking about this darkness coming from underneath, from the underbelly. Like, Gotham itself is a mask to the darkness and the criminality um, underneath. And even... And in that case, literally, because Bane and his henchmen are in the tunnels underneath the city. Um, And like I said, masks are immediately a theme in in this... trilogy because of scarecrow as well and i think it's what connects or at least one thing that connects batman to his villains and in the sense that in a lot of ways the villains are a part of bruce's psyche and it's what makes batman's rogues gallery so great is that batman begins is all about fear and the vehicle for that theme is scarecrow and bruce feels fear throughout and it it uh well anyway so scarecrow scarecrow is similar in the same way that the the crane the dr crane persona is really the mask because it's 
the madness underneath is represented by what he physically puts over his face. So there's always this interplay about which is the mask and which is the which is the true self. I had that same thought. Yeah, and that when he like oh, and and just that when we see how crazy he is as Scarecrow, mm-hmm. then obviously I think I would assume that Doctor Crane is more of the mask. Right. Yeah. And and but what does that say about about Bruce? And I think I think that's why I always come to the conclusion that that the Batman is his more true self because that's what his inner psyche coming out is that dark persona and Scarecrow's just there to shine light on that. Well, let's move to The Dark Knight. Any thoughts about masks as a theme in The Dark Knight? You don't watch The Dark Knight, so... I have seen it. <laughs> I just... It's really dark and not my favorite. Yeah, because when we watched... <laughs> we watched a bunch of movies before this episode, but... That was the one that you didn't want to watch, so... No. Joker just really creeps me out, man. Well, speaking of Joker, so he starts... And part of it is because he is... Like, I mean, he's absolutely insane, but on a level that, like, could happen, you Mm. know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't picture, like, a scarecrow persona running around with... a little more fantastical. With a hallucinogenic, Mm -hmm. you know... Fear gas. Fear gas type stuff. I don't... You know, that's not, like, an everyday kind of fear. Yeah. But somebody who's psychotic, like, Joker could be out there and so i find him more creepy because he's more realistic Mm. well and speaking of joker so he starts off the movie um wearing a mask and we don't you know the first time you see it you don't know it's him and he has orchestrated this whole bank heist and um each of the criminals he's told to kill the other one once their job is is done which is pretty evil genius like right off the bat but then i love that moment where he he takes off the mask and you see the joker for the first time and it's adding an interesting layer to the to the scarecrow thing from before where his mask is creepy and he takes it off and he's terrifying underneath like it's even scarier underneath that mask right because you're expecting this normal looking person it's not him and that was i feel like that opening scene sets the tone for the whole movie yeah and so you know just how ruthless joker is like as far as you know batman's morals he won't kill anybody Mm -hmm. not even joker and in the uh, but joker will joker will kill everybody and so i think that was that's my other thing about the movie it's just so violent yeah it is it's not uh it's not always easy to digest the dark knight that's for sure and between you know the three of them this one's definitely the darkest and uh i love it but i can see why it's um tonally (laughs) off-putting yes i think it's incredibly well done and the characters are amazing and everything but yes it's just really dark and really creepy so not something i watch on a casual day (laughs) just for kicks yeah well and and beyond joker we also have harvey dent slash two-face in the dark knight and toward the beginning bruce's whole goal is um well his whole idea and feeling is that harvey dent can do what batman's been doing but without the mask batman's motivation is that he wants to be with rachel and he can't do that if he's still also the batman persona so he needs to to shed that darkness somehow. And he's, in Harvey Dent, he sees, um, they keep calling him the White Knight, but he sees someone who can fight crime in the in the light, so to speak, in, in the daytime, without a mask, without hiding, um, going through the proper channels. And But then the, the twist is that Harvey doesn't do that. In fact, Harvey, his madness comes out in a similar fashion to, to all these characters where what we first see isn't their true self. And um, Harvey's is a little more tricky because I don't know if that, 
I guess the darkness was always in him. In him. That's an interesting question or debate. Um, was it always there and, and Joker drew it out? Or, I mean, I guess part of it had to have always been there, part of him. I don't know. I'm just rambling. But <laughs> well, I think in part, but I think it was also just brought on by extreme trauma. And I, I just think, I guess I just think it's ironic that, um, I, it's ironic that Bruce sees in him an ability to fight crime with only one persona and then he becomes Harvey becomes the ultimate dual persona right as two-faced yeah and so we have again another type of mask this time both masks are happening simultaneously which is also terrifying um I love Harvey Dent he's one of my favorite um also with Harvey Dent I think it's interesting to think about how his death becomes the impetus for like the Dent Act Mm, and the ability to put away criminals. And that's all kind of under a mask. like Right. It's all based on a a lie. A lie because Harvey Dent Mm. became Two-Face and Two-Face was not, I don't know, you know, not the same as Harvey Dent. They're, you know, different, different masks there. But the city of Gotham still uses the Dent Act as kind of like a a mask, uh, a, a way to put away all the criminals without parole. That's interesting. Like Gordon has put a, a metaphorical mask on, on the legal system by covering up, trying to cover up the darkness and the truth of what really, really happened. I right. haven't thought about that. Um, I, don't know it, I don't know what depth there is to it, but I think it's interesting that for a time Harvey admits to being the Batman, and maybe it's just a precursor to his ability to to put on a mask, to lie, and to um, and, and he's doing it for good at that point. But of course, as a character, he always thinks he's doing it for good. Joker doesn't care about good and bad, but um, yeah. And then also, Gordon wears a mask when you think he's dead. So lots of masks, masks abound. But even I guess um, I'd forgotten about this, but this goes back to my question of was that darkness always in Harvey? And at, I think it's at the hospital where. I could be wrong, but Harvey, after he's been burned, he says, uh, why should I hide who I am? So he almost already feels like that's his true self coming out, the the, the two-face, the the villain side of, of Harvey Two-Face. Which is so fascinating to me that he would choose, he really chose his mask. He chooses to become Two-Face in the sense that modern medicine, skin grafts, like, sure, he would have been scarred, but he would not have been that gruesome looking if he'd have allowed treatment. Yeah, that's true. It goes to show you that putting on the masks is a choice, really. We don't have as much to say about The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, we, we love that movie, but uh, I think the mask theme dwindles a little bit there, but it does... It's played out a little bit. It does connect a lot to Batman Begins. Everything in the story really does. Um, I Bat- love that Bane's mask is actual, actually functional. I oh, guess yeah. Scarecrow's is too. Like it. Yeah, but he doesn't need it either. Like right. Bane... They needs his mask, yeah. So in that kind of like a necessary. That's interesting to think about. None of the other villains or Batman himself have needed the mask until, right. until we get to Bane. They have, yeah. They serve a purpose, but they yes, Bane physically needs his. And I think it connects to that line about how he he tells Batman, "You barely adopted the darkness. I was born in it." <laughs> Whatever he says. How was that? How was my Bane? That's pretty good. Um. I knew what you were going I for. I haven't really so, yes. practiced my bane, so if it's terrible, just just let it slide. But but yeah, it, it connects back to that idea of, of Batman was only, I guess, like, I don't know how to put it. Batman was... He's born to a soft life. Yeah. And then he decides to take on a masculine right. persona. Bane's was less of a choice, and uh, 
the mask has always been part of him. Not really, because we see that... um, There was a time before. Yeah, he he didn't always have a mask, obviously. And he, in that flashback, he doesn't look particularly young, like he's 20s or something. But but just symbolically, um, that darkness has always been part of him, whereas the others have sort of risen out of it. Or not risen out of it, but adopted it. My favorite mask in The Dark Knight Rises is Catwoman's. Because I feel like she's such a character that can often be just stereotyped as, I don't know, she can come across as silly or, you know, why would she ever put cats on her ears, you know, as a cat, I guess she's a cat burglar. But I love that her, like, night vision goggles that, like, flip down and then when they flip up, they happen to kind of look like Mm, cat ears. So as far as just a costuming point of view, that mask is cool because it's more of an homage, less of a, you know, she's not going to paint whiskers on her face yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, less on the nose. Yes. But Catman, Catman, <laughs> Catman's a, a Batman villain and he does wear a mask, but I'm not talking about Catman today. Selena Kyle or Catwoman, she also like acts a lot. Like she has so many masks. When it's you first true. meet her, she's pretending to be a waitress. And then she has that, I love that little subtle turn that Anne Hathaway does. Yes. Uh, oh, she's so good in that role. Yeah, because then she puts on the persona of, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it, upper upper class lady, where she is trying to, you know, swindle the senator. Oh, it? yeah, yeah. The yeah. senator, and then later when she's at the big party, she's trying to... congressman, but yeah. Con- congressman, politician. yeah. And then later when she's at the party, and she's trying to get the, I guy, the guy whose wife is in Ibiza. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she has that that persona and then she has the I don't know the real Selena Kyle who is a um, she's a bit of a protector at least of her mm-hmm. one I don't know, her one associate apprentice I think would yeah. be a good word for her yeah but also I think that even that confident sultry side of of Selena Kyle is also a mask because oh I think Bruce, so her relationship with Bruce is what starts to bring out her true self and she comes back in the end Han Solo style because we all know Han Solo is a mask and he is not a Gryffindor and is a Hufflepuff. <laughs> You're always harping Closet. on Han the Hufflepuff. I, I don't think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but mm-hmm. yes, I strongly contend that Han is a, a secret Hufflepuff. Anyways. But yeah. yeah, what I love about Selena's mask is it starts to come apart when you see how afraid of Bane she yeah. is. And even when... Batman asks to go to Bane. She's like, you asked, you know. She's right. like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> so you get to see that, interesting that I feel like fear can be a motivator for both putting on a mask and for helping the masks be taken away. Like when we see people's true fears, we see more of their true identity. In in The Dark Knight Rises, Bane obviously breaks Batman's back, but he also breaks his mask. I'm wondering what what that is, what that means symbolically related to this discussion. Bane was just jealous. He didn't want anyone else to have as cool of a mask as him. Mm. He's like, I'm the only one with a mask in this town. Well, Bane in the comics wears like a luchador mask. <laughs> luchador mask. I don't know where I'm going with that. But Well, should we move on from Batman and jump into a, a galaxy far, far away? That's beautiful. It's your transition music. I love it. So in the original trilogy... Much like Bane, Vader needs the mask for life support. Like, he needs that mask. And they even say Return of the Jedi, you know, if if they take it off, he'll die. Um, And also, in the original trilogy, 
the stormtroopers have no identity. Like there are, they're the collective, um, much like the ninjas, um, although in greater numbers. Yeah, their masks are there to serve the purpose of making them killable, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, and behind the scenes they do that because if we can see people's faces as they're dying, like that's not going to get a PG rating. But uh, um, in universe, I think it, it helps to erase their identity or to make them, give them anonymity. They're just part of the machine. Exactly. But then One cog. in the sequel trilogy, all that is flipped on its head with Kylo Ren and Finn. So what's cool in in The Force Awakens is all three of the main characters, so Finn, Kylo Ren, and Rey, all start the movies wearing masks. That's our entry point into the new trilogy is through masks. And like I said, so the stormtroopers are meant to have no identity, and then the first one of the first characters we meet is a stormtrooper, and we're given his identity. He right because he's acting really weird at first. I love that you see the stormtrooper, and they're normally just you know very soldier mentality mm-hmm. they follow orders but he's acting weird like one of the stormtroopers falls and he stops to check on them right and you're like what's he doing we've never seen stormtroopers care about each yeah. other like oh that's his friend stormtroopers mm-hmm. have friends right and then you can tell that he's feeling uncomfortable in the situation and he's almost looking for a way out yeah we get a lot even though we don't see john boyega's face like there's some good uh, body acting i think there um and then, of course, Finn takes off the mask, like, the second that he can. And we, we see his face, and we've never seen Stormtroopers' faces before. We've seen clone troopers, but um, they're a little bit different. And Yeah, and then, of course, you have that immediate, you know, he only gets a brief chance to have the mask off, and then you get Captain Phasma saying, you know, who gave you permission to remove that helmet? Right. She's trying to put that to erase his identity again or to, to give him anonymity again. I mean, after all, that's the whole point of having stormtroopers, is you raise them that way, take them from a family they'll never know. Yeah, exactly. To be one of the one of the many. And then we have Kylo Ren, who, well, I don't want to talk about Kylo Ren yet. I'm going to save that for a second, because <laughs> I want to talk about Rey, which cool, cool little bit of trivia. Her goggles are made from stormtrooper lenses that she, because she lives in that junkyard scavenger and world so she scavenged some stormtrooper helmet and fashioned some goggles and uh, which i think is cool um but yeah she also starts with a mask and then right we don't know who she is just a character in the desert scrounging for parts but then all three of these characters finn ray and kylo ren their whole story thus far i don't know how it'll go in episode nine obviously but thus far has all been about searching for that identity so i think it's fitting that they would start with masks and at some point through that that first movie, they they take them off. Although it does take Kylo Ren longer to take his off, which I think is fitting for his character. Well, Ray in some ways too, because she well, I mean, her actual mask mm. she takes off pretty early on. Yeah. I'm assuming it got left behind on Jakku. But as far as her search for her identity, I mean, that comes to play hugely in the Last Jedi. True, and Finn is also often wearing a mask of. He, he lies about things. He says he's with the Resistance. He's... In the... Yeah, in the first. In, in Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Yeah. But even in, in The Last Jedi, he is still searching for for that identity of who he is, what kind of hero is he going to be. That's his whole plot with Rose is a continuation of The Force Awakens. Is, is You know, The Force Awakens is about him not being a stormtrooper, but The Last Jedi is about him becoming a Resistance hero. Right, and Rose tells him at the beginning that, you know... I didn't think I'd be talking to any resistance heroes. Mm-hmm. And he like... The Finn? Immediately <laughs> puffs up his chest. Right. Yeah. 
because he yeah he might have a so i feel like go ahead in that way it is i feel like in that way it is kind of another mask that he is putting on like the idea that the mask of the hero i mean he's done a few heroic things but at what point can you claim yourself to be a hero and so he yeah he kind of play acts that until it becomes true in some ways all right let's talk about kylo ren so much much of the yes much of the reason i love kylo ren has to do with with the idea of the mask and i talk about why i think the mask like as an object is is cool just it looks really cool i love the design of it but even deeper than that just um where the character comes from in terms of you have to think about what pressure there was with the force awakens like as they're writing it well we have to have a villain he has to be awesome but this is also a sequel to one of the most beloved trilogies of all time with the most iconic villain of all time in Darth Vader. Like that's a lot of pressure. So how do you make a villain that can can match that, can reach that? And I I just love the the meta narrative and they just they included that as part of his character. That just like the filmmakers were were nervous about can we make someone that's more powerful than Darth Vader, cooler than Darth Vader, a better villain than Darth Vader. And that's Kylo Ren's whole shtick. That's his whole thing is he's trying to be Darth Vader or even more powerful than Darth Vader. It's almost yeah, kind of meta. Yeah. of the movie makers too. Oh, absolutely. We need I want to do an episode of the meta narrative of the sequel trilogy because there's a lot in there that is could be breaking the fourth wall if you want to look into that, look into it that way, but uh, if we want to take the Abed approach then we could. Also with Kylo Ren, it's interesting because you see him at first and you assume well, you don't know what to assume. But I think you don't know who he is underneath the mask. Right. I mean, but you you assume maybe like Darth Vader, maybe he needs it. Or you right. think maybe he has some kind of hideous scar, you know, Phantom of the Opera style that he's trying to keep himself hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he takes off his mask for the first time, which is quite a ways into the movie, and you finally see him and you're like, wow, he's younger than I thought. He's just a dude. Yeah, <laughs> he's very normal looking. <laughs> well, I love that. I love that moment because, well, I think... A lot of people's criticism of him as a character stems from that first time that they saw him and they're like well he's just a guy like that's dumb he's just a pretty boy and it's like that's the point he doesn't need the mask but he wants to need the mask he wants to be Darth Vader he wants the mask to be his identity not this son of, of Han Solo and so right. I just think like oh yeah go ahead. I was just gonna say I just think the reaction of what who is this it's just a kid like that yes that's the whole point of his character and I love that I was just thinking that unlike Finn, who is forced to have a max mask put upon him, Kylo Ren very much chooses his mask. And with Kylo Ren, it's interesting with The Last Jedi, too, because he finally needs a scar, but that's the point where he destroys the mask. Um, but I don't want to jump in quite into The Last Jedi yet because there's some other cool mask stuff in The Force Awakens. Like My favorite scene is his confrontation with Han. It's incredibly depressing, but um, just everything about that scene I love. And and Han even tells him, take that mask off. You don't need it. And and Kylo says, well, what do you think you'll see if I do? And Han says, the face of my son. But that line, um, what do you think you'll see if I do? It's like Kylo Ren wants to be a monster. He doesn't want to take the mask off because he knows he's just a kid. Like his, his, He's just trying so hard to be a villain. And I just find that very interesting in his character because he's not a villain i mean he does villainous things for sure but and i guess you could make the argument that he's a villain and i know you are of the opinion that he won't be redeemed in nine i I could see it going either way but 
I, I hope he is because I think that's how he started his, with his character is that he wants so much to, to be the mask and to find his true identity. And I like the idea of him finding out that that was all wrong, that the mask was an improper goal, so to speak. I think it's interesting that he, like we said, he tries so hard to put this mask on to make himself more menacing, to make himself more formidable, fierce, whatever, you know, more of a monster, whatever it is. But then, yeah, he decides that he can be that person without the mask. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. So at some point, and I think that is due in part to the taunting of, of Snoke, but, you know, play acting. He calls him a child with the ridiculous mask. Um. But I think that is part of Kylo Ren's growing up process is that, it's like, I can be a villain without a mask. Well, and back to that Snoke taunt. Yeah, he calls him just a child in a mask. And that's basically what a lot of critics of him as a character were saying. He's just a child in a mask. So I love that they made that part of the story. And like that just made Kylo Ren go deeper down the deeper down the angry hole. And, and he destroys his mask in The Last Jedi. Because, um, like you said, I think he realizes that he doesn't need that mask to be the, the villain. But then that raises the question of, is he still wearing a mask? It's also fascinating that he idolizes a mask, that he has Darth Vader's mask in his room. And talks to it. And talks to it, <laughs> like a literal idol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that he wants so much to be like Darth Vader and that he holds on to this this um, piece of Darth Vader. Yeah, that mask is very important. The Darth Vader mask, but just Kylo Ren and his mask and... Um, masks as a theme are way more important than i think a lot of people are talking about that's half the reason we wanted to do this episode so any other masks in star wars that we wanted to talk about even just take a breath from this analysis what are some just some cool masks that you love i don't know if they could be considered masks but i love maz's giant eye goggle (laughs) things magnifier eyes super big which unlike most masks that hinder your sight these help her see more clearly Mm. she's a seeker we could also talk about Enfys Nest because the mask is... Oh, yes. Um, it's a bit tropey. Like, we've all seen that trope of the masked character that takes off the mask and, oh, it's a woman. We're supposed to be surprised. Oh, but I don't know. I still just love Enfys Nest. And I think I think it's just because of the actress. I still think she wasn't what I was expecting. Well, no, but once you think about it, then it's like I've seen this trope before of... Um, and not all tropes are bad, by the way. There's a reason that they exist. But... Just, I think it's a bit of a tired trope that we have this super awesome, capable character and we're supposed to be surprised that it's a woman when, why couldn't it have just been a woman the whole time? You know what I mean? Like, I just think it's a bit uh, backward. I can see that. But I just still love that character because the actress has a lot of uh, presence on screen, I think. Absolutely. Okay, what about outside of Star Wars, outside of Batman, any other masks or themes of masks symbols of masks you wanted to discuss what about masks in marvel aesthetically i love the way black panther's mask looks would you say all the masks are practical in marvel like there's not a lot of so i guess what i'm thinking of is in the first iron man when he reveals at the end he's like i am iron man there's no pretense there's no no hiding which is always such a huge theme in a lot of superheroes is like who knows that so-and-so is the hero and who doesn't know and is so-and-so gonna find out is the villain gonna find out and marvel hasn't really they've just circumvented that they've just said well i am the hero and most of their heroes you know like there's no secret identity everyone knows steve rogers is also captain america right i feel like the closest we get is black panther's mask but his isn't his isn't a mask to 
the people of Wakanda. Oh, yeah. Just to everybody outside of Wakanda. And all of Wakanda is wearing a mask anyways. And Huge it, mask. In the MCU, you also get Spider-Man. So he's got a mask because he's a teenager. and But he's like the only one and I can really think of. his aunt would that. not let him be Spider-Man right, exactly. if he didn't have a mask. But then <laughs> if she knew. So many of the other ones are just practical. Like Iron Man and War Machine. and Right. If you're going to fly out into thin atmosphere. I guess Ant-Man is kind of hiding that he is a hero in a way. That's true. But it could also be because he's kind of a crook to start out. And he definitely needs the mask. Like, it's part of the technology of shrinking. I was trying to come up with literary masks, and I couldn't come up with a ton, except I thought of uh, Twelfth Night and Shakespeare. Where, or, you know, if you want to go modern, Amanda Bynes, She's, she's the, the Man. man yeah. yeah. Which is a great movie. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Cult classic. And, uh, but the idea that, you know, she has to take on a man's persona. Um, so that kind of a mask. Well, there's also masks in Harry Potter a little bit. You've got the Death Eaters. You could talk about the Animagus as kind of a mask. Oh, interesting. Or the gazillion masks of Dumbledore, if you want to talk about oh, yeah. personality masks. Yeah. He does a lot of hiding, that's for sure. Plus, there are a lot of those Death Eaters, like like the Malfoys in particular, who put on different masks, different personas in different situations. Right, and again, like their Death Eater mask is closer to their true self than how they present themselves to the public as well. Right. Well, we've enjoyed talking about masks. We hope you have too, or hope you have enjoyed listening about masks. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at elsewhere underscore pod. We would love to hear from you. And if you love listening to us, tell all your nerd friends, rate, review, subscribe, etc. We love our listeners. Thank you so much and happy beeps. Happy beeps.